I doubt if there is any problem, social, political, or economic, that would not melt away before the fire of such a spiritual undertaking. Cool. I haven't asked you in a while, what are you, what are you drinking tonight? Um, this is a bourbon um, from a local Virginia distillery called Reservoir. It's very good. It was a gift from my boss. So thank you, boss. It's very good. Huh, that's cool. I kind of want a boss like that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm having, uh, in memory of Mike, who can't be with us tonight, I'm having a Godfather, um, which is something I've known how to make for a while, but haven't really worked on it a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm still working out how to get the proportions right because it's amaretto and scotch. Or not scotch. Amaretto and like bourbon, right? Well, it can be. Yeah. It, can, it can be with scotch, correct? Probably. Um, yeah kind of mutually changeable um but uh, it's like you don't want it to be too sweet because then just drink amaretto yeah um but then you don't want it to just be too bourbony so it goes back and forth so yeah. to mike cheers mike cheers <laughs> all right that's the end of the episode <laughs> <Then it comes. laughs> um anyway so i had a couple of thoughts that kind of were percolating over thanksgiving break when i was um driving back um from wisconsin um, I was going through the Midwest to get back to the school and um, I, the basis for the, the locus for this um, philosophical thought was a meme, which is kind of where all things should start from, I suppose. Um, and it was this joke about the Midwest. Um, and it's this picture of kind of like this almost when you think of it and put it within this context, this dystopian hellscape of um and the, the picture of the picture is kind of like what if we kissed in the midwest or something but it's a uh, picture of this like rest stop in the midwest and it's mcdonald's and it's exxon and it's like every other corporate um business that populates right. every single rest stop from wyoming to oh. to pennsylvania not that pennsylvania and wyoming are in the midwest but you you yeah. like you've, you've seen all of these corporations before like every single time um, and the person captioned it saying, I used to be one of those guys who LARPed about returning to the Midwest or some small town. Then I traveled there enough to think maybe my urban hellscape isn't so bad. And so this, this got me to thinking a little bit. Now I sound like the uneducated economist. Um, this got me thinking guys. Um, but it sort of made me wonder, um, is that individuality of the businesses, is that a luxury that is only going to be present at this point in, in major cities. Uh, it, and it got me to thinking, cause well, as I, well, let me finish the story. As I was driving through, I stopped at a rest stop and that I had that meme in the back of my head and I looked around and all of a sudden everything looked different. It looked more dystopian because it's the same rest stop. I had like some sort of cultural deja vu yeah. in the sense that like, I have been at this, at this, like this exit before it's in the middle of Indiana. Yeah. I hadn't actually, but I had seen all the same things again and again and again and again and again, right? From Illinois, Iowa, and parts of Wisconsin, Indiana, Ohio, Kentucky. Like they're all, it's, it all has kind of like the usual suspects when you get them, right? There's a pilot, which I actually don't hate pilot. Pilot's an okay place, but you can get your subway. You've got your Motel 8 or something. You've got you know your Exxon. You've got your McDonald's. You've got your Burger King. You've got your 
at Taco Bell, you have like all the same corporations one after the other. And there is something kind of soulless about it when you really start realizing that this is how it's going to be from here to pretty much the rest of the country. Yeah. It's going to be the same repetition with just enough change between different. Maybe this stop won't have McDonald's, but it will have a Burger King yep. or something like that. And there's not going to be that the places where you stop in Kentucky are going to be different than the places you stop in Ohio, which are going to be different from the places you stop in Michigan or yeah. Wisconsin or Minnesota. It's kind of all going to be the same. Now, granted, there are a couple differences, right? Like you might have like different types of gas stations. Like I know Casey's is yeah. different in different areas like Iowa, Nebraska. Yep. Um, but I guess it just started making me wonder. And it wasn't, I guess, necessarily complain about the Midwest as this person was. Because that would be rude and self-sabotaging. Um, and I think you can also make an argument that those are the rest stops themselves. Um, that's not necessarily the state once you get into the state more, you'll right. be more localism um, to it. Um, but it just made me wonder and think more deeply about how is, how has like the center of the country kind of been carved out and like desold in a way that there's no real, uh, again, like a rest stop in Nebraska is going to look very similar to a rest stop in Ohio. There's yeah. not going to be much difference. Um, but then I guess on the flip side, my thought was, well, I can't be scooting around across the country whenever I want, if there wasn't that infrastructure in place, um, or it'd be much more difficult. Um, so I guess I kind of went, went back and forth, like, how do we weigh, how do we weigh that the good in the sense that I'm have pretty easy free way of not free, but uh, I have a pretty, um, a simple way of traveling across the country. Like I don't have to start picking out like, where's, where do I get gas? Where will I get food? You're kind of like, Oh, Oh shoot. I missed the place with the subway. I guess I'll have to go another five or 20 or 30 miles to find the next one. Right. If that's yeah. what I really wanted for dinner. Um, so I guess, I don't know. I guess I just wonder what that does psychologically to a culture or to at least this, the heartland area. Yeah, where you don't really have that much individuality because of of corporatism. Uh, you can have the individuality when you're living maybe in a city. You can have yeah. your local deli that's owned by the local person, but even that's generally going to be stocked with similar products. But I feel like at least in a city, you get some wider variety of family-owned businesses oh, sure. that have their own um, approach or flavor to their product. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know, like this, again, this isn't to dump on the Midwest and the Midwest rest stops, which I frequent at the beginning and end of every semester. Um, but it made me wonder, is that is like, what kind of societal damage does that do when you don't have something to grasp onto from a work standpoint? that is unique to kind of your area of the country, because I always wonder like, what's it like working at these places? Right. Um, the person who's working at the pilot in Ohio has the same shirt on as the person who's working at the, at the pilot in, in Iowa. Yep. And I don't know. I just, I kind of yeah. wonder what that does to a country and what that does to a culture. You know, it's a, uh, 
it's kind of, yeah, I, I think it's, I've seen the memes too. And it's a good point. You know, my first thought is gas stations are a part of a national infrastructure where you can't, or maybe you could, I mean, I guess it used to be this way, but the way things have developed, you have large gas station companies that take care of like, you know, large areas and some of them are national. Um, and then, you know, your McDonald's like that's, I think what's tough. I, I mean, like, I, I want to get to your point about like, what does that do to society, but kind of to flesh out why it's kind of developed this way is that these companies have huge supply chain um, systems mm-hmm. that allow them to deliver food to the middle of nowhere in Nevada or, or Arizona, or, you know, Wisconsin, wherever you're at. Yeah. Um, which is much more expensive and difficult to do if you're, if you don't have that yeah. supply chain network. Yeah. Um, now what are the, I've, there are places like in, um, I've had that same thought going through Northern Nevada from Salt Lake city to Reno that uh, I-80 across that road is you have those rest stops where you have your, you know, your McDonald's, all is there is your McDonald's, your gas station that has a slot machines in it. And like, and that's it. And then, but people live in the town around it. Yeah. Uh, It's not a good example because Northern Nevada is a pretty economically depressed place. But I think that you like, it's when you're in those areas, you're, you are kind of the flyover spot. Yeah. Like your, your almost your purpose, your economy is to be a spot for people to come by yep. on their way to somewhere else. Yep. Um, and I think that that might serve a purpose. That's not like, I mean, I'm trying to think historically, mm-hmm. not every town was a center of culture yeah. within an empire. Yeah. There were some that were rest stops. There were some that were kind of, you know, maybe a little agricultural. And then it had like a tavern for yeah. weary travelers to rest their head. Yeah. Um, so I think it's probably always existed that like the center of a, of a, whether it's an empire or a kingdom, you needed those places. Um, but because it's corporate, it feels soulless. I feel yeah. like that's where we're getting to um, the local tavern in, you know, medieval England would have had much, a lot more character than your, your flying J or your, you know, your Chevron station, um, in the middle of nowhere, it's yeah. um, and then your Motel Six or whatever you're staying at. So, I think that the the Midwest has been carved out in general. I think that uh, through the uh, shift from an agricultural slash um, industrial society to a service economy, the Midwest has lost a lot of its population and importance, mm-hmm. and then it's lost a lot of its political influence. And so it's has lost money, has not been able to build infrastructure. And I think that it's not, you, it's not an overstatement to say that the opioid crisis in the Midwest has been pretty damaging. So I think that all of those things put together has kind of created this, um, what you see when you go there, there's no local art scene there's no local restaurants if there was one 50 years ago it's no longer there and you see it as a shell 
of yeah. it. So for the most part, like if there was a diner there that was owned by like a local guy, very rarely is it still being run and you can just, it's like, and nobody's taking over the building. It, like you can think mm-hmm. of, I don't know if you've ever seen that. I, I don't know. But or it's, it's, or it's been uh, corporatized and turned into something completely different. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's not run by a mom and pop anymore. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's something completely different, but yeah. I don't know. I, I, I get what you're saying about this kind of like the, um, the economy that deals with more moving things that some yeah. of these places are just, they're, they're things that they're areas that move goods and services, not goods and services, services can't be moved. Um, but they move goods from point A to point B and point A and point B are cities either in either, either the one or two large cities in the state. Like think of Indiana. It's, it's, well, maybe three, four ish. We can give it three, four. So it's like, you know, Indianapolis, uh, Fort Wayne, mm-hmm. uh, Louisville, kind of because there's urban sprawl across the yeah. river, and then Gary, which right. God forbid anyone ever lives in Gary, Indiana. <laughs> <laughs> but so, but you're, you're, but like the rest of it is just kind of moving things through those yeah. areas. Um, and it was, I guess it was a podcast I was listening to. I'm, I'm really forgetting where I get this information from because that makes it easy not to footnote it. Um, but it was this guy talking about how his parents ran some small business. He was in one of these flyover states yeah. um, and he was supposed to inherit it. And then they simply couldn't keep up. Um, he got addicted to, I believe, opioids of some sort and was able to write the ship. But then um, instead of taking over his family business, he was just sitting there working at an Amazon facility. Yeah, that was his job. And, you know, you maybe you want to make an argument um, that maybe he would make more money at the Amazon facility. Maybe, maybe not. Who knows? Maybe. But I just, there has to be something utterly soul crushing about yeah. working in these, those sorts of conditions to an extent. I mean, it's not to say there's necessarily something wrong per se about doing yeah. that kind of business because it, that work, because, you know, some of it does need to be, does need to be done. Oh yeah. Um, but it's, it's thinking that, especially when you have that in the background that your family were their own bosses and you were supposed to inherit that and work in that. And then the whole central of the country kind of gets carved out. Um, That's the part, especially like the part that you lost has to be what's, what's a killer about it. And I think that's, what's interesting then um, for, I don't know if I necessarily agree with Andrew Yang on everything. Well, obviously I don't agree with Andrew Yang and everything, but I think he has the right starting point when he talks about when he first started running for president and had the whole UBI thing is he looked at the middle America and those urban hellscapes kind of, well, not urban, but small town hellscapes being carved out. And that's what gave him the idea for UBI. Now, regardless of what you think about UBI, whether it would work, whether it wouldn't work. Um, I really do appreciate that Yang is pointing at that same the same issue yep. and seeing the same thing that's going on, that it is that there is kind of almost, I want to say a psychological damage to it. Uh, but oh, yeah. that there's a, I don't know. There's just like, like a loss of willpower. Maybe I can't really speak much because yeah. you know, I'm, I do the academic thing. I just looked down my nose at everyone. <laughs> that's my job. <laughs> that's, um, my, that's my setting. I just looked down my nose. <laughs> You know, I, I think that um, I think I, I like what you said about Andrew Yang, that there seems to be a um, I mean, the the Amazons, the tech companies, they're 
accumulating a ton of wealth. And they for largely until like the past two years were all centered in the Silicon Valley of California. Mm-hmm. Now some of them are moving to Texas so that there is a shift in the wealth there, but that wealth was not being, um, it was hard to get a piece of that action. Yep. If a, you weren't living in the Silicon Valley or B you weren't um, a computer engineer or, you know, something yep. of that nature. Um, and in the past, we've talked about this on the podcast before with Ford. This is like a classic thing we talk about on the podcast. Yeah, this is a classic <laughs> thing. Like, this is a classic topic. <laughs> yeah, this is, yeah, we're um, opening up the vault here. But if you work for, like, oh, yeah. back in the day, Detroit, okay, you didn't have to be the engineer who designed the Ford car, mm-hmm. but you could still make a living living in Detroit, working at the one of Ford's factories. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's not really the case now. You could say, well, Amazon, I think that if you work at an Amazon facility, then that's, and I think there might be an argument that, they're, that they are comparable mm-hmm. to a certain extent. Um, but uh, I think that the UBI is going, I think that, I think that there's a spot for it. I, I think mm-hmm. if we're, if especially because so much of the economy of the Midwest has been shifted to the service industry and the, and the tech industry. And there's just been no, like, like they've been left behind. Like all of that money that used to be made in the Midwest with industry has left. And it's, I think that there needs to be some help to try and bring that back, try and revitalize it, try and, because we don't want it to turn into just, I mean, there's so much potential, you know, there's so much potential for agriculture. There's so much potential to build things. Um, And uh, I mean, I think distance is a problem. This is what I'll say. I think that um, this country is big. Yeah. It's a big country. Um, It takes a long time to get places. And so if you're a company in, in Silicon Valley, there's no reason for you to have an office in Wichita. Mm -hmm. Like it's so far from you and it's, there's cheaper places closer to you and it would take you forever to get there. There's, um, so that's, I guess what I think we, something that also needs to be kept in mind is that it's not like we're dealing with Germany or something where you have a small hinterland or, you know, a small agricultural yep. area that's like a 30 minute drive to berlin i mean we're talking new york yep. to i mean new york to nebraska is like eight hours easy if not more I, i'm like mm-hmm. and that's yep. yeah so i think it's uh i don't know what the answer is but i think that there's these small towns are dying out and whether or not it's a, i don't think it's a good thing mm-hmm. um but I don't know how we stop it because without honest economic development there. Um, and if you don't have people, it's hard to do economic development mm-hmm. like that. If, if I mean, yeah, something I will give, I don't give credit to new polity very often because a lot of yeah. their things are a lot of, a lot of their takes are, are cringe and blue pill. Um, <laughs> but they, uh, at least what I heard from someone is that they so you know they're in they're in Steubenville, which it, Steubenville mm-hmm. is just like like par excellence 
trashy like Appalachia slash Midwest. I mean, we're kind of talking about, you know, two things at the same time here, but they're they're roughly applicable, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like Superville is like this hollowed out like steel town that like everyone just is there to still continue to do drugs. And that's kind of it. And then listen yeah. to Matt and then meet Mad Fred. It's like go there for the opioid and then for Matt Fred. Um, <laughs> but uh, they're one of the things they're trying to do is trying to link up local people. I believe I'm getting this right with local farmers, some sort of mm-hmm. like app connection where you can like order this and the farmer will deliver it. And so, yeah. um, you know, there's, there's, that's, I think there's, that's, there's an element that that's good. That's very good. Now, a lot of the takes are kind of, bleh, but um, I don't know. I mean, I think like with my old, my grandmother, uh, Busha, who had a, her house in, um, in Manitowoc, like there's a shoot to put the for the milkman to just deliver the milk and there's another shoot i mean these have all been sealed up to put like yeah. coal down and there it's that interesting um you know nobody comes to my house you know once or twice a week or something to drop off supplies right nice. there's that human connection that that it just isn't present anymore. Maybe there's a dude who came through and mowed the lawn every once in a while. And I'm trying to teach on zoom, yeah. but like n- n- there's not that same. Um, I don't know. I just, there had like, it's not so much that there necessarily would be a community building through that kind of system, but you have to admit that the opportunities are more widely available in that yeah. kind of a setting. Um, but I think what you're talking about when you're talking about moving things it was interesting. I was talking uh, when I lived in, when you noticed the background was different, if you're watching the YouTube version of this. Um, when I was in the other, the, old, the other house I was living at, I was talking to my next door neighbor who also rents from the same guy. Um, and his house would always have this um, semi-truck or this trailer parked out in front of it i'm thinking to myself yes this is this is the advantage of living in a small town because the police are just like whatever dude like yeah go ahead we're in we're, we're you know we're in not a subdivision but we're in a like a residential area and you've just parked like the trailer for an 18 wheeler outside your house like carry on um but i was talking to him about it and the guy who uh i was renting the house from he actually said he went to school with him and it was kind of like a tale of two cities sort of things where the guy I was renting from, he did the smart thing and he went into becoming a pharmacist. And so he made a bunch of money there and then put all the money into um, developing properties, which is kind of, you know, everyone's always going to kind of need property, I suppose. Although I would hate to be a landlord and try to like maintain it and deal with like tenants like that. It's just like, I don't see the downside because I'm a pretty good tenant. If I do say so myself, there's a lot of people out there who aren't, and I would hate to have to deal with it. Um, But he went into some sort of manufacturing at their school. And then once he got done, lo and behold, there was no jobs left. And he said they all went to Mexico, which is partially true, but they also all went to China and Vietnam and India, and they just went all over the place. Um, And so his response was, well, if I can't be part of making the things, I'll be part of driving the things around. And so that's then he got his license to drive these 18 wheelers. And uh, that was his, that was his career. He just drove a truck for the rest of his life. Yeah. And so, you know, part of me has always thought that um, guys who drive semis are kind of like modern day sailors Yeah. where they're like, these rest stops are kind of like ports and there's all the similar issues that go along with port cities that go along with these rest stops, uh, whether it's a drug use, like alcohol, prostitution, like it's like, it's, it's, there's very similar 
like to yep. like Cape Cod, like kind of like 19th century whaling ships coming into yeah. play, I think. Oh, There's yeah. that similar vibe, except they're all by themselves. <laughs> I'm right. sitting and um and I don't know, like there's a part of me where like I'm not gonna like discount you and be like, oh man, well, you really sucked at life because you drove a truck. Because there is kind of an element where I've like kind of always wanted to drive a truck, not for the rest yeah. of my life, but be kind of cool. They make good money. Them. Some of them make good money. True. Um yeah. But there's also like, but there's also the element of like, how do you really build a stable community when most of the community's livelihood is based around transferring goods from city A to city B? Like, how does that in- intermediary region, how does it ever kind of establish anything more um, sufficient when it's yep. based around this transportation economy? And then on top of it, and this is the thing that Yang, I think, also gets right, although I think he might be a little bit too worried about it too early. With automation, what happens when you can automate trucks? I mean, driving is difficult, granted, uh, but at the same time, you drive, like, I still remember driving through Iowa. It's like, there's not really, like, unless you fall asleep and turn the wheel to the right or to the left, it's really kind of hard to screw it up if you're just doing it by yourself. Now, granted, there might be other idiots driving around the road. But yeah. if you're by yourself, it's really hard to screw it up. It's like, it's not yeah. like you're making hairpin turns here. You're just like, oh, no, no. still going no. straight. <laughs> All right. Um, um, but one thing I'll add, just, I mean, you're right. Driving, especially in the Midwest is not difficult, but if it's in good weather, I will say that if you are driving Midwest during a snowstorm and you have to put tires on chains on your tires, or you're, if you get stuck or you have to change it or you blow out your engine, you yeah. just, you'll always need a human to do the maintenance on it. And yeah. so, but yeah, I get what your point though, is yeah. that it's. Well, what you could do is you could just have the guy in the truck, like not yeah. really driving it. And so this is where yeah. we get our philosopher Kings from yeah. <laughs> sitting there reading the Republic and be like, I do pulls on the radio. Hey man, what do you think of chapter 10 of the Republic? <laughs> yes. <laughs> do you agree with Plato? I think he's full of shit, man. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be kind of funny. Um, that would be funny. It, it was funny though, as uh, when I was in uh, Kentucky a couple days ago, um, I did stop at a rest stop and I was listening to truckers uh, talk to one another, and they're just sitting there um, complaining about car drivers. And I was like, I've always wondered what their perspective is, um, yes. because I've always like, you know, like I'm not one of those people who tries to cut off and do you know jack shitty things to to yeah. truckers, but it just. It just has to be, you got to think of like, you're driving like how many tons and you can't oh, yeah. stop easily. Like that just has to be such a crazy, weird drive. I, I cannot imagine trying to drive in like major traffic in like DC or LA. Or oh like yeah, that'd some, be awful. Oh, horrible. Even just a downtown city, like yeah. even a small city, like Indian, yeah. not small, but like Indianapolis or something, trying to get around like streets. It must be awful. Yeah. But yeah, so I guess to kind of well, that's to close out uh, because we can keep on talking about this for as long as we need. Um, but it, it made me start to wonder and think um, if this is an element of the economy that both Marxists and free market people um, get wrong, mm. that they both see it in a purely materialistic viewpoint uh, mm. where obviously with Marx, it's materialistic. I might have to think of that more. But with um, the free market side of things, it's generally, well, you know, the invisible hand of Adam Smith will figure it out. Where there still has to be a soul 
that undergirds this work and that even if you know you're doing this for some sort of like greater like i don't know because of the state or something in the marxist standpoint like nah we are all brother americans so therefore i will work hard for a bunch of people who i don't know and or care about um and i will not try to you know utilize them for my own private gain by becoming a local party boss kind of thing right um but then the flip side with well i'm I'm just i'm wondering i kind of wish mike were here because he probably have some good free market response to this um this is where this is where we load up on our like distributist like that's right <laughs> localism. Mike's not Mike's <laughs> away, so we're going <laughs> to guys. Mike's not here. <laughs> yep, we're going to talk, talk smack about free market and capitalism. <laughs> um, sorry, Mike came back. It's the lamp, liquor, and communism podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise! I changed the thesis uh, of the whole thing. Um, but it just it does though. In all seriousness, though, I mean, when you're just like, oh well, we'll, we'll get like the. And to an extent, there is, I think, a more serious point with the free market when it's like, yes, you know, the collective groups of people choosing, buying and selling is going to essentially create a more efficient system. Um, I don't I think that's kind of that seems pretty straightforward. I mean, for, for crying out loud, I contribute to the hollowing out of America by stopping at McDonald's and pilot whenever I need to get gas and food. Like my individual choice makes that. And if I saw a local diner, my response would probably be like, that's cute. I don't have time. I need to get my burger. I need to get back on the road. Right. And that's the whole thing with Marxism. Like, well, you see what capitalism does is it creates the need for the thing and it continues to build on its own. It's like, yeah, I would still still at the end of the day, choose probably end up choosing the convenience of the McDonald's or the subway than the mom and pop. Well, yeah. I mean, you're not only is it faster, but you know what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. There's a standardization there that is important. Yep. And uh, yeah, it's. Uh, but will it end up? Will the market correct itself? Yeah, that's, that's a the question. fascinating question because there's so many different markets at play here. Um, I. I don't know. I think. Like I, I agree with you that there needs to be, uh, you would hope that people would find a sort of flourishing in their town. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing that I think Mike would say is that without the local McDonald's or the Flying J or whatever in the town, that there'd be nothing. Yeah, that's the flip side to it. Yeah. Because some local dude isn't going to like contract an oil company to bring him yeah. gas. That's not no, going to happen. I mean, no. I, yeah. And, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, and just, I mean, you could, I mean, in the olden days, I think people, you know, yeah, you rent a diner in a, along an interstate, that was a way to go, but that's so unsustainable well, generationally. It's not something that'll be a generational thing. Yeah. Um, so. So yeah, I. I guess you know it's kind of interesting. We're we're in such a big country, so much space, and we're so far spread out from each other. Mm-hmm. But we are. But they're all so economically dependent upon each other. All the different cities. Yeah. 
So we have to pass through these places. And it's not necessarily the passing through that has caused the hollowing out, I don't think. I, I don't think that that has been the problem. I don't think it's the fact that the interstates go through them and that trucking goes through them. And, you know, I don't think that that's what's caused the collapse. Um, I think it, a lot of it has to do with, in my opinion, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that the agricultural business has become more and more uh, centralized mm-hmm. into fewer and fewer farms. Mm-hmm. So the wealth is being concentrated. And then that also population has just moved out of it. If the population stays in Kansas, people start doing interesting things. Not everyone's going to farm, but maybe they'll open up a store or maybe they'll open up a restaurant or maybe they'll, you know, become a doctor and come back and open a clinic. Yeah. But people have just moved away. And that, and I think that is at the core of what is been going on. And, uh, and that's been, I mean, I, you, that book that you told me that, that, I, that you recommended that I really, really appreciated was um, Nature's Metropolis. Oh, yeah. And that, mm-hmm. even back then, a thousand curses about, upon Chicago, but yeah. <laughs> so, th- this fantastic um, book, if anyone's interested in like urban planning or the history of the American Midwest, I highly recommend this book. Yeah, it's good. Nature's Metropolis. It's, kind of about the development of Chicago and then how it became America's second city and everything that went into it. And a big part of that book was talking about how Chicago was kind of the kids on the farms were leaving to go move to Chicago. Mm -hmm. Like that was a part of like the book, like everyone was leaving Kansas and Illinois, like the, like the different parts of Illinois and they were moving to Chicago to get out of the farm areas. And it was, and I remember there being a chapter or a few pages, I forget how long the author spent on this, but I remember him talking about how it was an existential crisis for the farmers back then, even that the yeah. kids didn't want to stay on the farm mm-hmm. and that they wanted to move to Chicago. And it was a problem. So I don't know. Uh, do you think like, I mean, it's tough. I mean, farming is hard work and yeah. I don't see us as a society anytime soon moving back to an agricultural society nope because most of the guys um who work like my brother knows because he works at a dairy farm up in uh northern wisconsin it's all illegals yeah it's he said it's not so many as much mexicans it's a lot of central americans and they they're they come up on greyhounds and they just they camp out not camp out literally but they just hang out and they just work and they just work these like awful shifts at the middle of the night or even during the day they do it you yeah, know, yeah. during all done but they do these shifts and they're like their their job is literally to just kind of like herd in there's like you herd cattle into the milking parlor so you have these guys yeah. who all they do for eight hours is they just have like little switches and kind of push cows towards the milking parlor to get milked yeah. um and then you have people in the milking parlor whose sole job, and again, this is for eight hours, is to wipe down the teats of the cows to make sure it's sanitized and then make sure the milking equipment is all sanitized. And then they just hook them up and there's two or three or four, like, you know, when you're driving through the freeway and you see these tanker trucks and like, oh, they're carrying gas. 
Um, yeah. Some of them are carrying milk because right. you have trucks that are that size constantly being filled up. And yeah. that milking parlor is always, and the cows are in a little carousel and it's like, I don't know, it's almost funny looking. Um, but they're just, it's, and then when the milking session is over, they're spraying down the, um, the carousel with mm-hmm. high powered kind of essentially fireman hoses and they're getting ready for the next load of cows to come in in the next five or 10 minutes because they have enough cows that there are always cows that are going to have to be milked. Like you're dealing with thousands upon thousands, like tens of thousands of cows that are constantly being milked. And, um, frankly, John was like the only white guy there. (laughs) It was kind of funny. It was kind of funny because like he's like, he's, he has learned Spanish, um, Mm -hmm. through at this job and, and most of them are illegals. Right. Um, because like really who wants to do that like it's, it's i would say it's not yeah, like soulless so, but it's to be fair they are making more money here than they would be doing whatever is down there so it yep. seems like it's a good bet but um yeah, yeah. I just there's not really a good way to start farming in america either uh, unless you have a lot of money um well or you I, already what have I'll say, up, or if you get subsidized by the federal government that's which, the other side to it well that's in a whole we're about to go down a whole nother thing here because mm-hmm. What you've described is a, what I would call, I don't know who owns this dairy farm, but it sounds like a very large operation. It's a, it's like a mid-sized operation. It's like a mid-sized operation. As far as I know, maybe we should have John on sometime to talk about this. That'd be great. That'd That'd be be really good. Do it. Um, Be like, why? Why do you want to talk about that? I don't know. It's (laughs) interesting. John, by the way, works in the maternity ward, which is always funny. Because you'd be like, oh, this cute little calf is born. And you'd be like, look at this calf that was just born. Like, wow. And John's like, oh, yeah, it was just born like five hours ago. And you're like, what? And then later on, you'd be driving along and be like, he'd be like, oh, you see that shed over there? It's like, yeah. It's like, that's where we put the calves that didn't make it through um, through childbearing that we had to put on, put down. I was like, oh. And he's like, well, like, yeah, I had to put down like two last night. I was like, shit, dude. <laughs> Yeah. It's like, yeah, whatever. And it's like, it's weird that you just, you're very much, you see life every night and then you also see death yep. every night. So, yep. I mean, the description of a carousel moving cattle through just in a circle, almost essentially a factory. Yep. Is very different, a very different vision of agriculture. Mm-hmm. than what I think a distributist would want for their agriculture. Um, a, I mean, I'm not going to give a full throat of defenses of distributism, but Mike's not the, here. So go ahead, go for it. Go Peter. for it. <laughs> the, but a distributist would say, why should one farm be providing all the milk for all of Northern Wisconsin, yeah. wherever that is? Yeah. Well, maybe like, why wouldn't you have Wisconsin. It's more just like, just, it's going into who knows what, right? It's going into right. milk. It's going into cheese. It's going into right, exactly. sour cream. It's going right. to everything, right? Yeah, it's going to everything. So yeah, it's not just like, oh, we milked the cow last night. Here's your milk. Yeah. Right. From the plant that like yep. pasteurized it real quick. And then we gave it to you. It's, it's yeah. going to, it's got many more steps before it gets to a person. And the person yeah. could be on the other side of the country for all we know. Right. So... You would think instead of having kind of a soulless, monotonous existence where you're just herding cows eight hours a day, mm-hmm. 
you would almost want there to be a smaller farm that does more than just herds and milks cows 24 seven. Mm-hmm. And they're not providing milk for, you know, the entire country, but it's just the County or like a very localized situation, you know, mm. maybe just the state or maybe like a couple of counties like that to me would be the answer to that question of like, why is farming? So it's like, I think farming has become so um, not that it's ever been easy. It's manual labor, but it's be- in my opinion, it seems to me that it's become very um, factory. I don't know what the factorized. Right word would be. Factorized. Yeah, factorized. Like where it's that's like that's not really a word, but we'll run with it. It's like mass production. I guess is yeah. kind of what I'm looking. It's for. an assembly like line production. type prediction. Yeah. yeah, production. And I don't know. I don't think that that's really the answer either. And I think that we could be doing so much better, in my opinion, mm-hmm. of maintaining like i i i think it's you know it's kind of int- i i mean in virginia virginia is um very supportive of local agriculture i have to say the state is very mm-hmm. much supportive of local ag- agriculture um in our county there was recently a um an initiative that they wanted to pass that would rezone certain agricultural properties to be allowed for um uh production of uh, metal goods or uh, things like basically make foundries and stuff. Mm -hmm. And the local farmers group came out and said, please don't. And the County voted it down Mm -hmm. and they were very supportive of the farmer's rights to, you know, maintain agricultural property. And I think Virginia at large does that. Uh And there's a lot of local farming in Virginia. And I think that when you have strong support for local farms in the state, I think you do have a better, more healthy agricultural community. Mm-hmm. But if it's like Cargill and like, you know, these uh, Tyson in these massive congr- like poultry groups and then yeah. yep. uh, Kellogg or whoever is doing all the wheat, like uh, my opinion is that it kind of becomes more corporatized and it's not, it doesn't help individuals flourish i guess is what mm-hmm. i'm, is what no, I'm let me put on my mic hat and be like whoa, 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 whoa. Look at my, okay peter but why is that a bad thing <laughs> right like um no i get i get what you're saying though like with it um like because i think um uh, my grandfather um was also a dairy farmer um yeah. and uh, they had i think like maybe 200 cows when you compare that to to what my brother's right. working at now which is like thousands about thousands of cows um and he, he's working with like, I think like around, who's working around with around 200. Um, but again, Golden Guernsey, which was the company that was, that he was, that they were selling their milk to. Yeah. They'd show up with a tanker once a week and they had right. these storage containers that would unload the milk that was keeping the milk cold and they'd unfill it into this tanker and the tanker would leave. That's once a week. Right. When you compare that to where my brother's working at, they have two or three of those things hooked up, getting filled up constantly. Like there's no comparison um, between between the two, um, yeah. but I don't know. Like especially dairy farming, though. Like dairy farming itself. Like when you think of like farming, like like I don't know. Like this is not to diss on dairy farming, but like that has to be the hardest version of farming. Period. Those cows have to be milked two times a day. Doesn't matter if it's Christmas, Easter, yeah. or Thanksgiving. They have to be milked two times a day. You simply yeah. don't get a day off. Yeah. Um, 
and so I think at least when you have that in the family setting, that was, um, that was difficult for my mom's family is because you just oh, like, sure. it wasn't like necessarily bad or anything, but like, that was something that like, you don't get to go take a week long vacation unless yeah. you have someone who else is going to go in and take care of the cows, as opposed to if you're doing something like grain or yeah. something like that, where you let the plants grow for a little bit yeah. before you harvest it. Um, right. Yeah. Obviously there's things you still have to do every day, but it's not like the cows are losing their minds if you're not milking. Yeah. Them. Um, yeah. I don't know. Like I get what you're saying with that. Um, I guess though, but I, on the flip side though, we have to say that agricultural, like this kind of like industry farming though, has allowed us to sustain populations that otherwise are unimaginable. Yes. To an extent. And I think we have to give credit where credit's due because that's something communists don't do. They're just like, Oh, let's look at the bad stuff. But on the flip side, like, yeah, like we have been able to, we we, like food, I wouldn't say is free, but calories at this point in the United States are virtually free. Yeah. Um, And that's something that I don't think, we realize as a net positive. Now we can talk about, oh, there's obesity and oh, there's this and oh, there's like, well, it's not vitamin. Right. Like, granted, but when you when you look at the the like grand source of the grand span of, of history, yeah. access to calories and to be able to not to starve to death or not to have to really worry about where your next meal is going to come from. Generally speaking, I of course you can always be like, well, what about in this case? Like, yeah, fine, but I'm sure they could also like a poor person, blah, blah, blah. They can't do it. It's like, okay. Yeah. But uh, like access to calories yeah, as a, a way of still functioning is not, is not really that hard to get. It's, it's, it's present. Um, it yeah. You know, like that's a good point. It's so that's, that's, point. that's the flip side that, yeah. you know, you want to give, I guess, because Mike's not here, we can rip on capitalism um, to give the devil his due kind of thing where it's like, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can go and eat five Snickers bars and you probably have enough calories to last you, you know, yeah. for maybe not the entire day, but most of the day I wouldn't, rec- like, I wouldn't recommend doing that, but no, you no. know what I'm saying? It's not like you're going to, yeah, you can, no, yeah, you can go into a McDonald's, get a, you know, get a McDouble and a fry and you'll be good for the night and you know, you're good to go. Yeah. Um, and it's, uh, and it's not expensive. Like it's, um, yeah. So no, it's a good point. It has sustained populations. Um, Are we in favor of the culture of life, Peter? Yes, don't we want everyone to have ten kids? <laughs> well, we need a. Don't you Catholics to... want everyone to have twenty kids? Like the Duggars, just in just include <sighs> baptism and confirmation, not Protestant. Part of the culture of life is also raising those twenty kids to like flourish and not. <laughs> so, oh yeah, yeah, fair point. Fair point. <laughs> fair <laughs> point. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, I don't mean to belittle that, but yeah, fair point. <laughs> oh, no, no. I mean, that's, it's, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, oh, gosh. Toughest thing, at least for a lot of people, for, it's not food, it's health insurance. Yeah. Like, like hundreds of dollars a month per kid. It's insane. We'll be spending more on health insurance if you have a decently sized family than you would on a mortgage. Yeah. Like, it costs more to insure a person or a group of people than it is to 
mortgage a a piece of land. Wow. Like, I don't know. It's it's kind of insane. And, and this is where the Lamp and Liquor podcast became a sycophant for Bernie Sanders. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> or as Senator Kennedy said, I did not call Senator Sanders an ignorant slut. He, have you ever seen him say that? <laughs> so I just, saw Elon Senators, Musk, I just saw Elon Musk on Twitter respond to Bernie Sanders like, I keep on forgetting you're still alive. alive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's cold. It's cold. Coming from a, a powerful billionaire, I feel, almost feel like that's a threat, like a, like a veiled threat. <laughs> True. <laughs> and he's so Bernie Sanders so old, right? You know, like, oh, he died of a heart attack. Yeah, right. He's old. That was bound to happen. How, how come he was burned to death with a boring gun, like one of those boring <laughs> flamethrowers? Oh, well, you know. <laughs> he was in his um, uh, second cabin and there was a gas leak. <laughs> um which is but, just uh, a hunting cabin. A lot of people from Vermont. Have a second house. It's not that unusual. <laughs> not that unusual to be a millionaire and do what the things. Oh, I don't actually hunt. I'm a, I'm a whore into violence. But, you know. <laughs> but I need the cabin to hide my money from the government. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brother. Um, uh, you want to talk about the decline of Western civilization some more? We weren't already. Uh, I, I'm <laughs> continuing. West is Western civilization. <laughs> oh my gosh! Here, can so, we pause just for a second here? Of course. Okay. Cool. We're back. Um, decline so, of Western civilization because everything is decadent, as we always have said. Yep. This thesis is, uh, of the show has been is undefeated. It's like, it is. It's like fifty-five for fifty-five or something. However many episodes we've made yep. decadent the society is still decadent and it's not it, it continues to be so it's... um man i this was a really upsetting article thomas i, I we talked about this earlier mm-hmm. but notre dame in paris notre dame de paris getting Ooh, getting a little french pronunciation yes well i think i don't think people realize that notre dame is not the entire name of the cathedral yes that's true yep it's Our Lady of Paris and Notre Dame, Our Lady. Yeah, because every single because every single cathedral in France, except for like one, which is Beauvais, is named yeah. after Our Lady. It's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like that one where it's like, he's like, hey, do you want to know what's cringe? Italian moms wait nine months just to name their son Giuseppe. <laughs> That's kind of true. There's a point right. that you want to know it's cringe? Spent 200 years making, well, it's not cringe, but it's just like, like I get you, but you know, like there's other, Every, yeah. there's other things. Like Saint Joseph's um, there. Like it's kind of cool. Like, you might want to name one Dr. Joseph. I'm saying, uh, sure she wouldn't <laughs> mind either. Like, you know, <laughs> hey. Um. So as most people know, unless you've been living under a rock, um, Notre Dame burnt almost to the ground, but they were able to save most of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they're in the process of rebuilding it. And early on, the French government said, you got to like rebuild it, it om- to the point where it's almost exactly the way it was prior to it being destroyed. Mm-hmm. That was the initial plan. It's a tough sell, like, though. Tough it's sell. It's still a tough sell because you're dealing with a 12th century cathedral yep. and you're hard to do. You're 800 I, years removed from it. That's going to be yep. rough. It, it, 
it's going to be rough. I think that from what I remember, and I could be wrong, but I think I remember them being like, you don't have to use wood in the beams you or like, you know, you, you, you can make yeah. like changes here and there, but you got to try and make it look like mm-hmm. a medieval cathedral. Yeah. Um, and it came out this past week that they're planning on like the way that one French architect described it, turning it into a woke theme park or woke Disneyland mm-hmm. where they're going to have light shows and project Bible passages onto the walls and people can like walk through different parts of the cathedral and they're going to have like sound effects and what they called um, emotional spaces. And um, apparently they're going to be removing this one article I read said they're going to be removing the uh, confessionals and like some of the um, some of the statues are going to be removed as well. Um, And not even just Obviously, as a Catholic, you you hear that and you're you're horrified because Notre Dame is a crown in the jewel of churches throughout mm-hmm. the entire world. Um, it's its historic importance and its agricultural uh, architectural importance are huge. But like we talked about this before, would you do this to the pyramids? Would you do this to anything anywhere else? Mm-hmm. Like, would you take any other contribution to civilization and say, you know, we're going to contextualize it. We're going to put light shows in it. That's we're going very, to very academic uh, term of you, Peter. Contextualize something. Yes. I don't know what French for contextualize, but it's probably but, something like that. But you, but you get what I'm saying, right? It's like, yeah, if you want to build a museum to talk about French Catholicism next door that tourists can go walk through. Okay, that's fine. But the cathedral itself should be maintained for both its religious and historical importance so that people can experience it as it is. I don't want, I, I mean, I was already upset that I never got to see it prior to the fire. And, and look, cathedrals burned down. Yeah. I mean, I was yeah. looking I was looking at Sharp. Sharp has burned down at least once. Mm-hmm. Um, it almost got bombed by the Americans. <laughs> almost got bombed by the Americans. So yeah. stuff happens. I mean, I understand. Like, this is just kind of the part of, like, a sad part of history. But it is upsetting. But if you're going to go through the work of rebuilding it, like, get it back to at least where it was. I'm not saying you have to, like, go cut down an entire forest in, like, mm-hmm. Western France to, like, we rebuild the scaffolding, but like, can we like not put light shows and like make it all theme parkish? Like that's yeah, it's uh, it, it, it diminishes its value. The Vatican did the light show thing, though. Did you did you remember this? Was it on the facade of Saint? It Peter's? was on the facade of Saint Peter's. Now, granted, yeah. it wasn't as bad as actually being on the front of Saint. It actually in Saint Peter's, um, but yeah. they still did something like endangered and animals on the facade of St. Peter and you're kind of sitting there going like you know as a person who believes in science and who believes in evolution and believes that like you know 99% of species have been lost or something due to extinction part of me goes who cares (laughs) like like, I'm not trying to be that harsh but it's like yeah you know like that's that's kind of what happens you know evolution is a cruel thing and you sometimes 
things don't work out for the flying tub dovetail Australian thingy, <laughs> right? Exactly. I mean, um, look, but like I mean, the fact I, that it's on St. Peter, like you've nothing else better to project on. Or how like, not project anything at all? Oh yeah, exactly. Just let it stand as the historical monument that it is. Like yeah, I don't know. Like well, now I'm, so uh, I, I want to emphasize your point that uh, extinct species are things that are you know I'm while I think that it is especially if it's man or man caused extinctions like yeah. the buffalo were almost hunted to extinction. Mm-hmm. because yeah, of man's like hunting of it like that's kind of bullshit mm-hmm. and it shouldn't happen but yeah um yeah I mean, no I, I it's weird i i it's all a part of this um i mean uh, it, it's like all right what is most important right mm-hmm. and it, if you think about it i mean i'm not i'm not going to say that this is what they were saying because taking them at face value they're concerned about extinction of mm-hmm. certain species fine. but we're so concerned about animals to the point that they sometimes be, it almost is borderline idolatrous. Mm-hmm. And if you are projecting the images of animals onto a sacred place like St. Peter's, mm-hmm. it's kind of, uh, I'm not going to say you're worshiping it, but you're also kind of, uh, well, I don't know. I mean, it's not like there's never you're been not worshiping. That's what they got the Pach Mama for. <laughs> we'll, just, we'll, we'll get to the worship thing yeah. later. Don't worry. I think you just have to look at the intention. I think it's, you know, it's all a part of this forgetting what St. Peter's should be about. I mean, yeah. or I not know, in, like projecting it directly on it, but just kind of getting back excuse me, to Notre Dame. If this is allowed to happen, I mean, I, as you as a medievalist, like what is your gut reaction when you hear that? Like uh, a my, top well, medieval cathedral is going to be so turned over to the humanists. So, Peter, I have a very complicated relationship with Notre Dame Cathedral. <laughs> okay. Um, well, so, okay. So, so to, to be fair, I saw Beauvais Cathedral before I saw Notre Dame, which was a bad mm-hmm. move because that was like seeing the largest, highest, most insane Gothic vaults that you've ever, that have ever been built. It, you saw that and then you went to Notre Dame. I'm like, that's kind of small, man. Isn't right, thing about right. building this thing any bigger? Like, what's wrong with this? <laughs> what's, what's wrong with you? Guys? You just got to build up a few more feet, you know, stack <laughs> some more of those stones on top. We have room for this in the build back better <laughs> thing, man. Let's just keep on building higher and just more glass and stuff. Come on. Come on, man. It's not even it's like Cologne. Cologne's going to get bombed out by the allies. This is going to be fine. <laughs> What's wrong with you guys? Because Cologne, all of so if you go to uh, Colm or Cologne, yeah. you go to their cathedral, which is another amazing cathedral. Um, yeah. Two sad things about it: one, none of the uh, stained glass is original in that cathedral because glass. It the the cathedral. You see pictures of it during World War II. All the buildings around it are completely destroyed. Um, and the cathedral itself wasn't hit, I think maybe a little bit, maybe pretend, potentially, but the allied airstrikes did a good job of actually not hitting the actual building, but yeah. the, the actual force of the blasts blew out all the glass. So none of the glass yeah. in, in uh, the Cologne's cathedral is, is real, which is, or not really, it is real, but it's not yeah, original. It's not original. And the other sad thing is that it's all black from just centuries. Fire. Well, oh, no oh. centuries of just pollution. The oh, limestone yeah, yeah. catches up all the soot in the air and it's just yeah. it's black. Um, yeah. so those are things with Notre Dame, 
the issue I've always had with Notre Dame is that Notre Dame was not a place to go if you wanted to like pray or do anything religious, yeah. even go to mass. It's right. it was so hard to go to mass there because you had people wandering down the middle of the pews taking pictures. And you're like, excuse me, we're we're yeah. having mass here. Could you get? Could you yeah. not? Could you could you go away for like? pause just i'm sure you're in paris long enough that you can wait until we're done doing yep. the thing that this building was built for in the first place i, I could yep. you could you not yeah. um but there were some really cool experiences there um when it was like the first time i went to paris with my cousin peter um shout out to peter if he's listening because sometimes he does um along with the other three people i suppose um <laughs> but it, it was it was like later it, it was it was a cool place to go to after like towards the evening when most of the tourists had kind of left and um they brought out the crown of thorns which uh louis the ninth had bargained with the byzantine emperor for and they had all these like these there's like these four dudes wearing capes and stuff like that's like straight up cbds type stuff right yeah cool um and so that was like really moving experience because i was not expecting them to like you know bust out the crown of thorns here um and so like it's it's a really cool cathedral, but like part of it, like I see it wasn't like this was a well running functioning Catholic cathedral that they suddenly decided to turn into a playground. It kind of was a zoo a lot of time anyway, because everyone's like, I got to go see Notre Dame cathedral. And it's really cool. I need to go see it. And then they're like, Oh my gosh, look at this is where, where does Quasimodo live? And you're like, (laughs) shut up. I'm trying to have a moment here of like yeah. connection with my Catholic roots. And you're just like, yeah. where's the hunchback guy? Is he over there? Where did he live? Like, Shut up. Where's the donkey? Like, there's no freaking donkey in this place. Just piss off. Like, shut up. And then it's like, and then they'd have it like in the cathedral, they'd have it like you'd hear them like haphazardly, like a mom doing her best to get her kids off the playground where it'd be like in English, like, please, si- please remain silent and respectful as this is a like a, a center and a place of prayer. And you're like, yeah, no shit. And then yeah. they do it in like Spanish and then Italian. And then like, obviously they do it in French and then they also do it in like Chinese. And yeah. it's just like, it was like, it was a cool, really, really cool place. And I really liked it. But I mean, it's just, it's kind of, I want to say it's always been a zoo, but it's like, it's such a tourist attraction that, I wouldn't say it doesn't surprise me, but I could see how they could come to that conclusion based off of how things, when I experienced it, were. that it was always kind of like people, I mean, again, it's not bad because it's, it's, it's right there on the Ile de France, which is the the one Island in the middle of, of the Seine. Um, And that's a cool, that's a legitimately cool place, right? You're like walking around the middle of Paris and then you walk onto the Island. You're like, you're on this island and it's, it's, you walk around, you see, um, not chart, you see, a, um, uh, not Sacre Coeur. No, what is it? Sacre Coeur is up on the hill. Um, Saint Chapelle. Yeah. Saint Chapelle is another really cool place. Yeah. Um, which isn't quite as bad as touristy, but also because you're not really trying to pray as much in there. Um, but it's just, I don't know. It's, it, it's depressing. It's sad, but I guess it's not unexpected. If that makes any sense. I, that to makes total sense. I, I totally believe that that's what's happening. I, I, I haven't been to France yet. And like, I wouldn't go to France. I, I wouldn't go to France. Oh, no. Because <laughs> France isn't France. And 
That's a deep cut from 2016, man. I know. I wouldn't go to France. <laughs> <laughs> like, when you're there, like, you, so, like, we've talked about it where, like, you walk around Rome where you touch a petroglyph and you kind of, like, get this, like, this connection to the past. When, when, when you're in, uh, when you're walking around the island, or do you get like, do you ever have that moment where you get like a connection to the Frankish Kings or yeah, like so, yeah. Uh, definitely with de- Well, you do get it with, um, you do get it with Notre Dame. I yeah, mean, to an okay. extent yeah. it's difficult. It's difficult yeah. to really kind of, I guess, have a moment quote unquote, yeah. but you do look up at the facade of Notre Dame and you see the different, uh, all this, the carvings and statues. And you're just like, this is really yeah. cool. And even when you do go in, like, I don't want to shortchange it. Cause it was still, it's still a very, or was, I don't know what it, what the state is right now. Yeah. Um, but it's still a very, it's a beautiful cathedral and you just, I don't know, it's, it's you have to go at the right moments, right? Yeah. When it's not as many people who are going to be there milling around, taking pictures and kind of being jackasses. Um, but I think in more was um, Saint-Chapelle because it's smaller. Mm-hmm. It's a little more of an intimate place yep. and it's, it's just, it's insane, right? Because like the, there's no walls there. That's, it's yeah. all stained glass. It's insane. Yeah. It's crazy. Um the place, though, that was the coolest as far as um, the is getting a sense of the French monarchy was going to Saint Denis, which is the Westminster Abbey of yeah. the um, of the um, of France. Yeah. And I took it was a, it's the 13 line. It's a little bit scary because uh, Saint Denis is actually in one of those areas. And you know how there's always s- these stories that the French generals are going to overthrow Macron. Because <laughs> yes. because they're worried about Muslim enclaves. Yeah, Saint Denis is one of those areas. <laughs> oh, I remember. I've heard it, about this area. Okay. Yeah. yeah, and so I'm a little. Yeah. It's a little. It was a little bit nerve wracking because I went there. Uh, I was like a junior in college, and I'm just kind of like, yeah. oh boy. But then you got yeah. to Saint Denis, um, and um, it's cool because that's where all the French monarchs are buried. Gosh, and back so in cool. the day, back in the day, that's that was you know off in the countryside. Yeah. Um, and you know it's not not anymore now it's on the metro line yeah um, but literally the basis for going there was i looked at the metro map and saw a metro stop that said saint denis i was like oh cool let's go there <laughs> just yeah. randomly got on it like that was that was a good decision but not a great decision so, um, but that was um, a cool one it's like again it was like it was to the point where i started milling around where all the french kings were buried and i had this yeah. like french guy yelling at me to get the f out right really? yeah he was just like oh, no, 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 no. i was like oh dude you'd be speaking german if it wasn't for me and my people let me look at these french kings that you would have beheaded if you had been born in later like come on man <laughs> look <at these. laughs> um, but no like but again like i'm a tourist milling around he barks at me to get out of there which is again completely different than yeah. the notre dame like notre dame like maybe if you try climbing a pier or something they'll somebody right. will stop you but short yeah. of that like you can like jump around and you do all this other dumb stuff in there. But yeah, Saint Denis was kind of one of those experiences where like, wow, this is really cool. Like this is the place yeah. that like Charlemagne originally built. And then Louis the yeah. ninth built is Charlemagne buried at Saint Denis. I don't know where, no, uh, Charlemagne is buried at Aachen, I believe, which is uh, technically in Germany. It's just yeah, yeah, yeah. West of Cologne. Yep. So yeah. So yeah, the, they fight over him. Germans and French are just like, I don't know. He was military victorious and his empire didn't last for that long. So he's probably German. It's <laughs> 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 a criteria. It was like, it was there and then it was gone. Like, hey, it's probably German. 
<laughs> As I told you before, I need to get over there before all of these cathedrals get turned into humanist temples. Um, yeah. Because, I mean, I'm trying not, like, I, I, I want to make it clear. I don't want to be a reactionary. Like, I don't want to, like, sit here and be like, oh, things were so good when Charlemagne was killing everyone or you know like <laughs> when he's just like, massacring like ten thousand saxons for the hell of yeah, it yeah like oh it was such a good no obviously what not, a christian king man <laughs> <laughs> um, we need some more paid winners more catholic monarchy to do shit like that man like, yeah uh, no you know how about, uh, how about not <laughs> how about not wait like <laughs> yeah i so right like i'm i'm not opposed to us you know, as a society, developing new things, getting better technology, you know, flourishing in different ways. But to lose the, like, what I, like, I guess what my, my, the sadness that I think I'm feeling is that there are people who look at Notre Dame and say, you know what this needs? It needs a light show. Like that's, yeah, that's what's kind of making me sad. There are people who yeah look at St. Peter's and are like, you know what this needs or I don't know. They haven't done anything too crazy there, but it's like, I, I, my point being, how can you walk other than their this? general sense of giving communion to everyone? Exactly. Right. Exactly. You know what this yeah. needs? This needs, you know, this needs uh, ecumenicalism in the worst possible way. Yeah. And it's like, well, no, can't you kind of like sit quietly in Notre Dame and just immerse yourself in the beauty that the original architects and artists and artisans made and just be like, no, this is enough. Yeah. Like this is, this is enough. Like, Mm -hmm. and there is immense value in allowing people to experience what those original stonemasons and artists and architects made the way that they intended them to be experienced. Yeah. Um, so if I can add like a word of hope, I guess, yes. to it, um, it kind of goes a little bit back to Ross Douthat. Towards the end of Ross Douthat when, or Douthat's book, um, The Decadent Society, when he's talking about um, when he's talking about solutions to decadence. And one of them that he brings up is, um, excuse me, is Euro-African uh, futurism mm-hmm. um, because Europe isn't repopulating essentially yeah. with its original population. It's not having, so it's having a lot of immigration happening. Yeah. Um, and so like, uh, you know, like again with Santini, you know, it's a lot of Muslims that are coming in, but I think there's also a lot of Christians who are coming in as well. And that's the point I think that Douthat makes is that there's a lot of um, Africans that are moving to Europe looking for jobs. Yeah. And a lot of them are Christians. And it gave me hope in some ways. It was when I went, to, I went to mass over the summer, I'd go to mass at uh, the, um, the church of Santa Chiara, St. Clair. Yeah. That's where she's buried. And that's where I go to mass because I was lazy and I wanted to go to evening mass. I don't want to go to morning mass because who wants to wake up that early. Um, but the nuns who were singing there, who were there every single day, who I actually got to know just a little bit, not too bad, not too much, but just a little bit. Um, they were all from Asian countries. Yeah. And yes. they were some of the most dedicated poor Claire's who were part of it. And so when you think of, who might really just look at Notre Dame or who might just look at St. Peter's or who might look at, uh, at the church of St. Clair 
in um, a CC and just appreciate for what it is, it's going to actually probably not be kind of like bureaucrats living in the higher echelons of Paris or the EU. It's probably going to be Christian immigrants from third world countries who don't have this ideology of like, well, what if we put like, like Asian and African symbolism in this because it's like more expressive of a diverse blah, blah, blah. And meanwhile, like the African immigrant or the Asian immigrant to Paris is going to be like, who's a Christian is going to be like, no, could we just like have the thing I believe here? Yeah. Could we just do that. Like that, that's I mean, kind of what I appreciate. I'm not going to get all worked up over this, that, and the other. Like, no, like I'm re- I really think this is like, be- and this is the thing I like, I had to an RCIA group. I gave this talk, right. Of, of Christian cathedrals and of Christian like architecture. Yeah. And the point I stressed at the beginning is the thing that's really cool about Catholicism and kind of Christian, well, apostolic Christianity, because you could yeah. point to orthodoxy with this as well. The kind of Christianity that's not iconoclast that's not iconoclastic and that has, mm-hmm. you know, like an appreciation for like the arts and for yeah. building beautiful buildings of worship. Um, what's really cool about converting to one of these things is it doesn't matter if you're not French. It doesn't matter if you're not Italian. It doesn't matter if you're not German or well, not English, forget it. Cause they screwed everything up. You can still walk into St. Petersburg or not St. Peter. You can still walk into St. Peter's as a South American and appreciate it because it's oh, yeah. part of your patrimony because yep. it's not a race thing. It's a religion thing. Yes. And you can walk into Notre Dame, having come from Japan and yes. you can appreciate it because you are a Christian. I grant you, you can appreciate it regardless, but there's a special link that you have because you are a Catholic and it's I, not dependent upon, well, this is a French thing. Like, yes, it is a French thing to some extent, right? But I, as an American Catholic appreciate it more than the random dude who's walking in from who knows where going like, Oh, this is pretty cool. But like, no, this is, a special expression of French Catholicism, but this is still Catholicism. So this is still, by extension, my spiritual home. Now, shut up. Quasimodo never existed. (laughs) I want to make two points off of what you just said. So first to quote Chesterton, one of my favorite quotes when talking about this issue of tourists and how they view Catholic art and architecture. He said, um, anyone who goes to anyone who appreciates Roman art, but hates Roman religion is nothing but a tourist and a cad (laughs) is what Chesterton said. And I was like, yeah, I like that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Very Chestertonian, you know, Mm -hmm. quip. Um, And then even if you're not going to Europe, if you went to Mexico city to the incredible cathedral of Mexico city, Mm -hmm. which is a beautiful cathedral that they have down there, it's very unique. Um, but it's you go there or you go to Asia and you check out um, some of the um, cathedrals that they have in Japan or, or Korea. Mm-hmm. You will feel a certain connection to these places because the tabernacle is there. Mm-hmm. And there is a link that links the cathedral of Mexico City to Notre Dame to St. Peter's. There is that link. And that's an excellent point. It doesn't matter where you're going. Obviously, the major basilicas of Europe hold you know a special place historically because so many important things have happened but it doesn't matter where you go in the world if that tabernacle is there yep you can appreciate everything else that's going on around it and it's um it's man i 
that's and it's a very good point about um who's going to appreciate the art and um i i think i have quoted baron on this before um mm-hmm. but baron bishop bishop robert baron was responding to people who say the church should sell its cathedrals and all of the gold and all of the art and all of that and feed the poor and his response was and this is a unique response because very often people will um, give Christ's response of, um, you know, the poor you'll always have and like this is for God and all that. But Baron kind of took a different route where he said the beauty inspires hope and the poor deserve to be to have hope as well. Yeah. And these are homes. Of, the churches should be homes for the poor as well as the rich. Mm-hmm. And they deserve to have hope as well. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's a fantastic point. Yep. You walk into a beautiful cathedral, you are, I mean, I, I'm not saying this is 100%, but most people are awe-inspired and their spirits are lifted Yep. at the very least. And if not, they're having a deeply spiritual moment. Yep. And that is only something, I mean, the European cathedrals, while they were kind of ego contests between the different like local, some of them were, you know, like, let's build a bigger one. They are also constructed by the people for the people. Yeah. And it's, um, yeah, we don't really have public works like that anymore. Yep. I mean, I think what's interesting with the point about the poor is that the cathedral symbolizes for the poor, essentially with the poor, there's this hope for a life of eternity, right? There's no want, there's no need, there's no hunger, right? And what is a cathedral and what is a church, especially what is a cathedral that people have dumped money into? It's specifically yeah. based around that hope Yep. or else a cathedral is a waste of money. It's a waste yeah. of time. It's a waste of everything if there's not something beyond that it symbolizes. And so it yep. does right, symbolize that hope. It's like, no, you spent how much money on that thing? Like, yep. And you just like, ah, just on a whim, right? No, you did it because there was the hope of life eternal and that this was a mere shadow of the life that was to come, right? And that's the part that the poor are also hoping for. And that's a visual representation that they're not alone in that hope of something better, that there is yes. something else beyond excuse me, beyond death that is an eter- life eternal. So. No, I think Baron's on point with that. I, I mean, it's an, so. I um. I yeah. I I don't know where we go. Like, I hope that this doesn't become commonplace in Europe, where mm-hmm. like the French and the German cathedrals start like, oh, Notre Dame did it right. Let's do light shows and let's do let's make actually i want to say this um a friend of mine not catholic but he we were talking i I might be repeating this story too but this was another good point um he was talking about what a church building is and the the line between a house of worship and a house of god in a museum is very thin and if you turn it into a memorial, it becomes stale. And then I think Notre Dame, what they're doing to Notre Dame is kind of end game of when a church that is supposed to be le- living and breathing mm. and worshiping God every day 
turns into a museum of what it used to be. Yeah. It is no longer a living, breathing um, place for people to worship. Yeah. It is now a place for people to think about how people used to worship. Yeah. And that's tragic. And yeah. that's what I'm, yeah. And to add on to that, it's like, even before the fire, I think that was kind of the point that yeah. Notre Dame was at already. Yeah. yeah. Um, because it was so kind of like a victim of its own success kind yeah. of thing that everyone. Well, it's also a victim of the French Revolution, but you know. That's... Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is true. I've, I've pretty much everyone's a victim of the French Revolution. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, do you have any uh, good words of wisdom? Let me wrap this up. Uh, um, just uh, stay in the fight and keep praying. Right, that would be those are my words of wisdom. Just yeah. stay hopeful. Yeah. Feel- <laughs> All right. Very right, cool. Let's get out of here. Cheers. Right. Cheers. That was a really bad time.